0: Harry's for supporting Motley Fool Answers. Get your free trial set, including a razor blade, five blade cartridge, and shave gel. Just go to Harry's.com fool. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined as always by Robert Brocamp, personal finance expert here at the Motley Fool. Well, hello, Alison. Hi, Bro. In this week's episode, breaking up is hard to do, even when you're talking about stocks. So Bro is gonna count down five reasons to sell a stock. We'll also answer your question about trusts and hear some stories from a few Fools who still regret the one that got away. We're still talking about stocks, by the way. All (laughs) that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. It's time for Answers Answers, and today's question comes from Josh in Phoenix. Josh writes A friend of mine was explaining all of the properties and stuff he keeps in his trust the other day. Of course, (laughs) we all do. (laughs) And it really wasn't making much sense. Can you explain the benefits of creating a trust? What can I put in a trust, and why would I have
1: one? Well, Josh, so let's start with what is a trust? And a trust is a legal entity, sort of like a small corporation, really that holds and manages assets for the benefit of others, either their current benefit or future benefit. And a trust really can hold all kinds of things. We're talking real estate, life insurance, business interests, patents, vehicles, jewelry, even pets, and of course your investments, with one big exception, and that is you should not put your retirement accounts in a trust, it would be considered a taxable distribution. However, you can leave your retirement accounts to a trust. There are actually all kinds of trusts. The two major types are revocable and irrevocable. Revocable means you create the trust, but then you can change your mind and you often manage that. Irrevocable is basically once you put that your property into the trust, you no longer have as much control over it and it's actually harder to ter- change the terms of the trust for an irrevo- irrevocable as well. And you can open the trust and put the stuff in it today or you can have it in your will as the, t- the trust is created when you pass away. So that's the basics of a trust. But why would you bother doing it? There are several reasons. First of all, one might be to avoid probate, which is the legal process by which when someone passes away, the executor looks at the will and distributes all the property. It can take a while, it can cost a lot of money, and it's often very public. If you want to keep who gets what private, your better bet is to keep it in a trust. Um, It's also a way to have property managed when you're no longer around. If you leave something in your will to someone, once they get it, they can do whatever they want with it. But in a trust, you can determine how it's managed and when someone gets the money. Why would you want to do that? Well, it might be you have a kid with special needs, it might be you have relatives who aren't very good with money, it might be you don't want to leave all your money to your kids right when they turn 18 or 19. You might want to spread it out to where they get some at like 22, 25, and 30. So there are all kinds of reasons why you would want to maintain some control over it even after you've passed away. And then there are other reasons why you would create a trust, mostly to get property out of your name. It might be for estate planning purposes, it might be to become eligible for government benefits like Medicaid, um, or it might be to protect assets in case you're worried about creditors or bankruptcy or something like that. So those are all the reasons why someone would do it. And it might sound very appealing, but there are a few things to know. First of all, trusts tend to be more expensive and complicated than a will. So if you're going to go to the trust, you have to pay a lawyer to create the trust and often you have to pay someone to manage it, especially if it's an irrevocable trust. Um, also, um, because they're more complicated, it's not the type of thing you should do on your own. Generally speaking, we don't recommend estate planning that you do it on your own anyhow. But if your life is not particularly complicated, it's probably okay to get like a will online through a, a good quality service. Trusts, I would say, because they're so complicated and because laws vary from state to state, I don't think that's generally a good idea. So it does require more legal help. Also, all those benefits that I listed about a trust, they vary from trust to trust. So, for example, let's say one of your goals is to get money out of your state so you don't pay estate taxes. You have to have an irrevocable trust. If you had a revocable trust and thought you were okay, You did it wrong. So you have to go to a qualified attorney and say these are my goals for this money, and she or he will tell you, okay, this is the kind of trust that you need.
0: So if I'm doing estate planning and I've got several kids and I want, do I do one trust and that doles out the money to all three people, even if it's all different stuff, or do I need to have a separate trust for every person, thing, asset? Yeah,
1: I'm not an attorney, but I think it's okay to have it as an individual, one big family trust that di- distributes money to heirs, whether it's kid and then their kids as well. Um, but I'm sure there are reasons why you may not do that. For example, um, you may want different amounts to go to different kids, and you may not want your kids to know that, so yeah. in that situation you had different, um, different trusts. Also, it gets very complicated if you've married, had kids, got divorced or someone passed away and they got your remarried. Um, that's another reason why people will use trust, because they want to protect assets from kids from the first marriage, um, and they don't necessarily want to make that a public event for the kids from the other marriage.
0: Thanks to Harry's for supporting Motley Fool Answers. By taking less profit and selling directly to you over the internet, Harry's offers quality razor blades at half the price. Harry's is so confident you will love their blades, they're giving you their free trial set for free. Just cover $3 for shipping. So, bro, should I have Mrs. BroCamp come into the studio and tell us how great the shave was? Because I think she probably she's probably more invested in this.
1: Yes, and uh, as I may have said before, she was quite impressed. So, you know, it's free. Why not give it a try, right?
0: To get your free trial set, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel, go to harrys.com slash fool right now. That's harrys.com slash fool. And again, it is $3 for shipping. Up is never easy. Maybe they just aren't right for you anymore. Maybe you're just not right for them. And while it's cliche to say it's not you, it's me, it really can be true in investing. Sometimes you need to sell a stock and it's not the stock's fault. Bro is here with five reasons why you should break up with a stock when really it's not the stock's fault. It's yours. (laughs) It's not even fault, really. Right.
1: It's just the conditions, you know, things change, your life, that type of stuff. It's time to part ways, at least a little bit.
0: So, We have some good. We have some breakup lines to help you when you are looking to break up with your stocks. The first one is we're just outgrowing each other.
1: (laughs) And for this one, it's really about your allocation being out of whack. So let's say you know five or seven, ten years ago, you set an asset, asset allocation for yourself: cash, bond, stocks. Chances are. Those have changed considerably over the last several years. Your your portfolio has become much more stock heavy because the stock market has done so well. Um, If you had an allocation between U.S. stocks and international stocks, U.S. stocks have done much better, so you're probably underweighted in international stocks. Sectors, The tech sector has done particularly well over the last couple of years versus something like energy. So You would want to look at that and you would want to just rebalance by selling the assets that have done particularly well to buy other assets that are appropriate for your portfolio that are now underweighted.
0: Next breakup line, we're spending too much time together.
1: And this is about having too much in one single stock or maybe a handful of stocks. But the rule of thumb, my rule of thumb, is that you shouldn't have more than 10% of your portfolio in one company. Other people are more aggressive with that. I think fool co founder Tom Gardner has said 15%. But whatever it is, at some point, a stock can do so well that it becomes too big. In your portfolio, it still might be a great investment, but it's time to pare it back. One of the services we hear, have here at the Motley Fool manages a real money portfolio um, as if it's a portfolio for retirees, and they have to sell assets every once in a while to meet their distribution requirements. And what they often are selling is Netflix, not because it isn't a great stock, but because it has done so well, it becomes a bigger, bigger part of the portfolio that they sell it just to rebalance the portfolio.
0: Next breakup line is. You're Mr. Right, just not Mr. Right now.
1: I think a good thought process to go through with your portfolio once a year is to pretend like you are all in cash. And then you look at your investments and you say to yourself, Would I buy you right now? If I had cash, would I? Or am I just holding on to you because five years ago I decided to buy you? And not only ask that question about each of your investments, but um, rank them. Which ones? Are you, do you feel most comfortable with? And in terms of the weighting as well, you know, maybe a stock has now grown to 7% of your portfolio and you still like it, but if you were all cash and you were starting over, maybe you'd only put 3% of your portfolio. So you can use it as a, as a decision of what to hold, what to sell, but also how much of a company do you want to own.
0: Next breakup line, my interests have changed.
1: Yeah, so I think we all have companies that at what point we bought because we thought they'd be good investments, we might have been interested in the industry, or we might have gotten it just because of a tip maybe from a newsletter or from a friend or a financial advisor, but we're no longer interested in it so we don't really follow it anymore. And if you did the the thought experiment of pretending like you're in cash and then you look at each of your investments, you're going to come across things you're like, "Oh my gosh, I haven't really looked at that in years. I don't even know how it's doing." Um, Tom Gardner, in an article I wrote, had a good quote about this, and he wrote um, in terms of letting your interest gauge whether you should hold on to a stock or not. He said, this one may be particular to me, but I'm just not interested in owning companies that don't teach and make me more interested in the world. There are enough great companies out there to fill up my life with filings and phone calls, news articles, interviews, books, and a lot of thinking. Why buy something that makes me feel like I'm in a tired classroom in the seventh grade? So I think that is something to consider. If you're not going to stay on top of the company, maybe you should sell it.
0: And our final breakup line is I need a break, a tax break,
1: that is. Right. So taxes should never be the number one reason you sell an investment, but it should play a role in it. So and there depending on your tax situation and your stage of life, there are all kinds of ways to take this. But so there are a few things to think about. First of all, there's always tax loss harvesting. Um, In taxable accounts, you can sell an investment if it's below what you paid for it. Take the tax break, you just can't buy it back for another 30 days. Um, that's one thing to consider. If you're retired, studies indicate that if you have taxable brokerage accounts as well as tax-advantaged retirement accounts, you should liquidate the taxable accounts first. So, if you're a retiree, you're looking for income. Studies indicate you should look at that taxable account first. On the other hand, once you're 70 and a half, you have to start taking required minimum distributions out of your traditional IRAs and traditional 401ks. So, if you're in that situation, obviously that's where you look first. Those accounts for what to sell. Um, it's also important to know that you can always identify different shares. So, if you've been buying stocks many times over the years, you probably have some that have bigger gains or bigger losses than others. So, you can take the time to identify the shares of which to sell. So, if you say, let's say you've been buying Apple over many years and you decide you should pair back some of it because it's done pretty well and gotten to be a big part of your portfolio, look at the shares that you own and the cost bases and determine which ones to sell for the right tax situation. Given your current tax situation, if for some reason you have, you're have you in a year with a lower, you're not going to make so much money, your tax bill is not going to be so high, that might be a good year to take a big capital gain. If you've made a lot of money this year and your taxes are going to be high, you want to take the shares that have a smaller capital gain or, in some cases, maybe a capital loss.
0: Obviously we're joking about the idea about breaking up with your stocks, but inevitably it's something everyone is going to have to do.
1: We at The Motley Fool like to talk about being long-term investors. But the bottom line is we're investing for a reason. It's either to pay for retirement or pay for college or pay for something else. So At some point, you do have to sell. We focus a lot on what to buy, not so much on what to sell, but, but deciding what to sell is, is in the end going to have just as much of an in- impact on your portfolio as well. So As you go through this process and you make decisions about what to sell, track your results, record what you sold, and, and, and determine whether you've been making the right decisions along those ways.
0: I wonder what people regret more if it's not buying a stock or selling a stock at the wrong time. Like there must be some behavioral finance psychology element well, to this. Well, there
1: is. I mean, there are studies that show that people hold on to their losers longer than they should and they sell their winners too soon because when the winner goes up, they're like, "Oh my gosh, I got a profit. I got to lock this in." Whereas if you buy something and it goes down, if you sell, you've basically admitted that you've made a mistake. Um, Okay, we don't
0: like doing that. No, we
1: don't like doing that. So I think it is probably people who sell something too soon, I'm guessing, probably feel worse than the people who didn't buy something at some point. Because when you sell something you owned, I think that feels more personal than if you passed on a stock that you were considering.
0: Well and if you passed on a stock that you were considering you're also kind of bragging a little bit how like you saw it before everyone yes. else did. But you just didn't lock it down. Right. Like you were a genius before everyone else, but uh, right. if only. Right, you can
1: take partial credit. Yeah,
0: you take partial credit.
1: Right. Whereas if you if you buy a stock you owned that's it. That's right. There's woof. no excuse. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. So the point is, though, don't fear selling stocks. You need to do it every now and then. Right. And it's okay. And now our next segment is totally going to contradict that. Well,
1: not really. I think the point is investing, nobody's perfect. And even the best investors will make decisions that they eventually regret. That's just part of the game.
0: All right. Sometimes you regret the one that gets away. perfect. Even many of our analysts regret calling it off with an investment from time to time. So I went around Motley Fool HQ and I asked a few people to tell me about the time that they sold a stock too soon. But first, before we get to that, I talked to Brendan Matthews here. Um, He's been on the show before and he did a little research into how well our recommendations would have performed had we never sold a single stock, and this is what he learned.
2: So this was uh, something David was interested in. He asked me to run the numbers. Uh, So we looked at 12 years of data. It was 146 stock selections, and what we found was David's actual returns up to that point, including sales, were 210%. If he hadn't sold, It would have been 261%. And the big driver of that is some huge winners that we sold early. So Biogen Idec, which we sold in 2009, ended up going up 480%. And then Arm Holdings, uh, which was a really bad one. We sold two positions in 2009 and it went up 700%. Uh, there were some good sales, so Stray Education, which we also sold in 2009, was down 75% since our sale. But you see the, the lopsided math there of 700%, 480% is going to make up for a lot of 75% down situations.
0: So there you go. It kind of reminds me of that, which is, I guess it's an apocryphal story, but it's that story going around about how the best performing accounts, like some brokerage, you're going to remember it better it's than a, I will. It's a, yeah,
1: it's a- well, it's from Fidelity, right? And and the apparently, and it is possibly apocryphal, and that is, Fidelity looked at which accounts did the best, and they were the accounts that people like never touched, or maybe they even died, died yeah, the owners yeah. died or something like that. So yes. not
0: to let truth get in the way of a good That's story, because <laughs> you you tried to find
1: right the Whether origins this of that Whether this actually happened, yeah. and I and I couldn't find it. But, so yeah. yeah.
0: So here is Brendan Matthews. Alex Shearer, Paul Essen, and Jason Moser telling us their stories of the stocks that they broke up with too soon, the ones that got away,
2: the ones they regret. I bought uh, Chipotle shares, I think around 2008 for about 30 something dollars. And I ended up selling them out of the Great Recession as the Great Recession was ending for about 100 bucks. And I thought I was a real genius only to watch the shares go up to almost 700 now they're you know down you know 3 400 but still a bad sell
3: so my sad tale of selling stock too soon came in 2004 when after a weeks long vacation on a cruise ship i came home and figured that i had to actually pay for some of the crazy discretionary purchases i had made uh, that were not exactly in the vacation bucket uh, one of those purchases was a piece of art that i bought uh, after a little bit too much champagne and smooth patter of the professional cruise line onboard auctioneer had me buying stuff that uh, I hadn't expected to before I left. Uh, I had to sell some Apple stock to, uh, to uh, pay for that artwork which actually still, still sits uh, over my fireplace today. Uh, unfortunately selling that stock in 2004 had a realized loss for about $2 a share on a split-adjusted basis leaves me with a piece of artwork that I enjoy, but has unfortunately had to be retitled uh, into a new name, Opportunity Cost in somber tones, because that artwork cost me a couple of thousand dollars, but the Opportunity Cost at this point is over $600,000. Selling Apple stock in 2004 was without doubt the biggest regret that I have Uh, in a stock sale. In 2004, which is about a
2: year after I graduated from college, uh, I bought something around 600 shares of Netflix, which was uh, $7,000. And uh, that had to have been a pretty sizable portion of my portfolio. Um, And I sold it about a year later for, I want to say like a 50% gain or something. So a really nice gain. I was really happy with it. Um, But yeah, I did a, a couple calculations and those 610 shares uh, they had a seven-to-one split uh, sometime a couple years later, and they've gone up uh, considerably in value, and that would have turned into around seven hundred thousand dollars now, which is uh, b- by a, uh, considerably larger than all of my retirement funds put together right now, despite having thirteen extra years of saving. So that is uh, a little disappointing.
3: Back in two thousand and six or seven, I think it was. This is actually right about the time I found a Molly Fool before I ever became an employee. I'd uh, just started as a member, found a biotech company called Diax, which was focused on this thing called hereditary angioedema, which is just otherwise referred to as H-A-E. Sounded like they were running through the trials and had a successful drug going to market. I owned a good chunk of shares and just thought it was great and you know, made about 100%. I thought, man, I better get out while the getting's good. So I sold shares around six, seven bucks. I should have held on to those shares because in uh, I think 2015 Diax was acquired somewhere in the neighborhood of $38 per share. So lesson learned. I probably shouldn't have been investing in it in the first place considering I have no edge in biotech, but it sticks to me this day.
1: I I I will say I have my own Sally story. And it's, it's a buying and a selling story. So when I opened up my first IRA when I was 25 as a teacher, 24, 25, I didn't know anything about investing, so I got it. someone told me, you should go with Vanguard. I got their little booklet, and I just chose the fund that did the best the year before. Yeah, that's what everyone does. Which everyone does, which of course is not what you should do. It was a small cap fund, this was in the 90s, small caps did not do so well in the second half of the 90s, so I bought a stock right before it started to lag, or bought a fund before it started to lag. I got tired of it lagging. So, what do I do after a few years? I sell it right before it was about to take off. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: I don't have any good sold stories because I just, this is embarrassing. Here's a true confession. Uh, I have a lot of cash sitting in my various brokerage accounts because, you know, maybe some stocks got bought out or maybe, you know, whatever, for whatever reason. I've got some cash sitting there. And I'm like, oh, I need to go and invest that. I need to go move around, buy different stocks, whatever. But I always just get. Just give up on the process at the moment I get to the point where I'm supposed to enter my password into my brokerage account. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna go move some move some money around, and then as soon as it's like, no, nope, that's not your password, we're like, oh, well, save that for another day.
1: That's so funny. I I will have to make that a future episode because I have an article in the works along these lines, and I hear that all the times where people say like, I would love to use Mint, I would love to use Personal Capital. But I could never remember my password. Yeah. <laughs> it's so embarrassing.
0: So I'm hoping that Brendan Matthews' research and the apocryphal F- 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 fidelity study are true because my brokerage accounts are basically being managed by a dead person.
1: <laughs> I'm not sure that
3: works if you're sitting in cash, though.
0: I know. There's that problem, too. So, ugh, yeah. All right, that's the show. If you're looking for some more motley fool goodness, uh, go and buy a copy of The Motley Fool Investment Guide. It's a third edition. It's completely revised and updated. While you're buying one for yourself, buy one for a loved one, like a, a grandchild or a child or, I don't know, your neighbor. Everyone could use this book. You can go to book.fool.com or you can just go to Amazon and your local bookstore. All places where fine books are sold. 'cause that's where you'll find it. All right, the show is edited faithfully by Rick Angdahl. For Robert Brocamp, I'm Alison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody.